feel real good, all right? Most dope. Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. I definitely just missed my cue, was not paying attention <laughs> at all. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Uh, it's, it's, it's that kind of show, guys. Listen. Uh, the season is, uh, I mean, not officially over yet. There's still mm. some math going on. Um, Allegedly, uh, Charlie maybe knows. Uh, it's 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 over, guys. The athletic. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, you guys have it at like point one percent. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think I saw it at point zero two or something. I Ooh, don't know. That's even but better. Yeah, it, it, it's over it's, and all but the most minuscule of percentage yeah, points. To me, it was over. The back-to-back losses to Washington and Toronto. I think that's fair. That's really... Because mm-hmm. that's when the streak ended. Now they've lost like five out of seven or something, and it's really... Now it's just... They're done. But yeah. we'll get into all that. Let's lead it off with the uh, with the panel for the evening. Let's start with returning from his uh, little trip he went on. Yay! Charlie Yay. O'Connor from TheAthletic.com. I'm back. Uh, so I wanted to start this out with a, a cool little stat that I was looking up this morning um, regarding our, our very own Carter Hart. So since the start of the post-expansion draft NHL or post-expansion NHL year, so talking like literally when the Flyers came yeah, into 67 the... 67 Exactly, whatever, yeah. exactly. No rookie goalie between the ages of 18 and 20 who has faced at least 300 shots in his rookie season has a higher save percentage than Carter Hart and is 921. Now granted, and there, there's, cool. there's caveats here. Like... Grant Fuhrer's age 19 season, Tom Barrasso's age 18 season in the 80s when everybody scored goals. Like, those were probably more impressive relative to the rest of the league yeah. because they were, like, top-end, say, percentages in an year where no one broke 900. Those are probably better seasons thinking about in the league itself. But 921, best save percentage. Grant Fuhrer played for who? Yeah, it was a pretty good team. <laughs> but seriously, 921, best save percentage. Oh, yeah. He could still drop because Carey Price was at 920, so he's right there too. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky was at 918, so he could drop below them. There's six games left, but we're talking about you know purely by straight. Did he stop more pucks than anyone else? Like this is the best age 20 and younger goalie season from a rookie, possibly ever. So what you're saying, Charles? <laughs> Is that we've got the best goaltender of all time. I mean, I, I didn't say that, but if I you guess, want to interpret it that way. I'm that's trying, what I heard. I'm trying to remain like, all right, listen, we've seen plenty yeah, of man. we've seen plenty of fun little runs out of guys before and you know, good but it's hard when the kid is drafted and on that day you're told, Hey, here's your goalie of the future, you got him. And then nothing happens to make you think it's not going to be. Like, from that day on, he's the best freaking goalie in junior. He gets to the AHL, struggles for like a month, and then all of a sudden looks real good, and then comes up, and he's basically good from the start. Sure, he's thrown in a couple clunkers, but I'm a Philadelphia Flyers fan. Three bad starts out of however many is is totally fine with me. Uh, And it is good ones. I just read on, I think, NBC Philly that... He's the first rookie goalie with three wins where he made 40 or more saves, something like something crazy that like sounds, that. Sounds right. Like, it's just everything just keeps adding up to being, hey, you got him. You do actually got him. Yeah, I just I don't, like I don't, I don't think there's any, and maybe, you know, we'll listen to this in three years and, oh. man, Charlie was an idiot, but I just, it's hard for me to envision that he's going to be bad. Yeah. Like to me, it's, it's whether he's just okay. Or he's really good. Yeah, like, like, the, like the floor here is that he's a just okay goalie. When you're saying we listen to this in three years from now, here's the thing: I it seems he's definitely still going to be on the team in three years. One would think. Like, yeah, it's not going to be that. It's not going to be terrible if he becomes Vasilevsky or Price. Awesome, but it seems as if at least there's a baseline. of yeah. pretty good. Exactly. The fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. So I regret to inform here on this hockey podcast where we talk about the Flyers that I have completely checked out. It's been... It's very... It's very. So remember, I think it was... I want to say it was the Montreal game where at the end of the game, Konechny ended up in the net mm-hmm. and he was just so pissed off he just broke his net on the post. Was that... Stick on the post? His stick. I, might have been Ghost. Might have been TK. Yeah, you said broke his net I think on it the was post. That's TK. not a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. TK. So I just remember seeing that happen and thinking to myself, eh. 
I, I felt those feelings in like December. Yeah, I, this run was fun, and we're going to get into something that I asked last week because uh, a member of our core four has returned. Yay. Steph should be joining us shortly. Uh, we will wait for her, but. Yeah, it's I've had the I've had the post games over the weekend. I do most of the post games and people aren't even interested in asking about what happened during the game, which is fine to me. I'll talk about whatever the hell anyone wants to talk about. Sure. But at least there's a little bit of game discussion, like a play here or there, usually even in a game that's totally forgettable or boring or whatever. Someone will be like, hey, what happened here or there? And I'll just go, you know, I'll give my take on that. No one is asking about that whatsoever <laughs> at this point. It's it, like Andrew yeah. McDonald could take his stick and hit himself over the head with it. And people have been like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, what do you think of Scott Gordon? <laughs> like, and I'm getting sick of repeating myself. Like, I feel like it's getting boring for the listeners. But... It's what people are asking because no one cares about what's actually going on. Yeah. There's six games left. I'm going to sit back and enjoy them. Carter Hart should start a bunch of them, so at least we'll get to see our our, our, our franchise savior. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's In terms of results, I'm checked out. Uh, but I started last week's show asking the group, was it worth it? Um, between January 10 and March 11, the Flyers went 19-5-2, picking up 40 of 52 points for a pretty nice 769 points percentage. They've now lost 5 of 7, have 6 games left. So was the run worth it? Because at one point this team was in last place, and we really did have the lose for Hughes, crapo for Kako, whatever yeah. the hell you want to call it. Uh, we thought there was a chance we could get at the top of this draft. Charlie, since you weren't here last week, a member of our core four has returned. Was it worth it? So I guess there's a couple things here that need to be accounted for. Like number one, if you could have promised me in January that they were going to get one of Hughes or Kako, then no, it's not worth it because they they're two game changing players, franchise changing players that you'd want to get. But the thing that you know we all kind of sort of brushed aside because we were in the the deep throes of our like oh my god, everything is bad, maybe they could be good if we get one of these guys, is that with the way the lottery is set up is that you still didn't have an incredibly high yeah. likelihood of getting mm-hmm. one of those guys, even if you finish as one of the two worst teams in the mm-hmm. league. Which, let's be realistic here, the Flyers, regardless of where they were in the standings in mid-January, they were not one of the two worst true talent teams in the league. They just weren't. They weren't that The, the results were that bad, yeah. but they weren't actually that bad. And it was the, the most likely scenario was there was going to be some degree of bounce back. I wasn't expecting this much of a bounce back, but they were they were probably not going to continue to play like one of the two or three worst teams in hockey. That's maybe we none none of us thought they were going to be like the first or second team out, but yeah, there was going to be some sort of regression of they're not this bad. Yeah. They're not a last place team no matter how shit it was and you know the goaltending, the special teams, whatever you want to blame it on, there's a lot of things that just weren't going to remain that bad. No one gets a sub-900 save percentage for the whole season. Were they going to end up getting really good goaltending? No, we didn't see that coming necessarily. But like a 65% penalty kill, no, no one's that bad. You're going to break 70. You just are. So those things were going to improve and the results were going to improve. But like I've said a bunch of times, to me it was worth it. Because it wasn't just Claude Giroux with three-point nights dragging a mediocre team. We got to see more Travis Sanheim. We got to see more Nolan Patrick. We got to see more Oscar Lindblom. Myers came up. Hart came up. And these things all contributed. And to me, that's why it was worth it. Yeah. I, I, and I'm kind of just done with draft picks. That's yeah, my other thing. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of aspects to this. And one of these is, one of these is, is something you're not going to know until the offseason for obvious reasons. But the first part is, and we talked about this in January, is that it's important to know to have a have higher level of confidence that these young kids are actually what we think they are. Yep. And we got that in the second half. We got more certainty. You can never be 100% certain, but you can be more certain now after watching the second half that Oscar Limblom is legit, that Travis Sanheim is legit, that Ivan Provorov isn't as bad as he was in the first half. Like These were important things that you had to learn to make you feel more confident, confident about next season. Second aspect of that, and again, something we're not going to know until, you know, the next month or two. I made this point on the show a couple weeks ago. This was about the best possible sell you could have made to a Joel Quenville. If you would have, if this team would have been awful the entire year 
And why just, would he come here? Why would he come here? Yeah. But now, after a good second half where they won games and they have Carter Hard and the young kids look legit and they have all this cap space, like now you can go to him and say, by the way, you're like the missing piece after we go out and get a big name in free agency or via trade. That's you also, because that's my question here is uh, not so much what did we learn, because I think we did learn about. Some of these players. Now, I'm not totally sold, like we've talked about. Yeah, which times. is fair. I think they need to go get a two C. And if if Nolan Patrick ends up being a high end two C and beats out the guy we bring in and gets more ice time, it's a good problem to have. But in 100 percent of the seasons he's played, he's giving you absolutely nothing in the first half. They can't do that again. No, I can't let that happen again. And the way the same way we can't. Carter Hart kind of solves the problem, but he can't just totally neglect the goaltending position again and oh wow yeah we threw away the first three months because we had no goalies Cal Pickard and Mike McKenna were making starts for us like oh yeah that's why we're terrible so it's pretty clear this team has some pieces what do they need to do this summer to challenge Washington for the division in 2019-20 because that's a step I need to see happen they need to be first or second in the in the division next year and really look like one of these teams because as fun as this run has been we'll get into the analytics and some of the that stuff later but They've beaten really two playoff teams. They've beaten the Pens, which is always fun. They've beaten the Pens. They've beaten the Habs, who are probably playing over their heads. And they've also lost to the Habs. So what do they need to actually compete with these really good teams in the league? What do they need to add to this? Well, they... I mean, they definitely need a coach. It doesn't need to be... I mean, obviously, Joel Quenville would be the goal, but it needs to not be... A mediocre guy like Scott. I mean, I like Scott Gordon, but he's not the guy. Like, I'm sure we're going to talk about this, but the underlying numbers for the Flyers during Gordon have somehow been worse than Hack, which seems impossible considering how bad things were under Dave Hackstall. But Hack drove like his teams tend yeah. to at least above yeah. this level drive play. We always talked bit. about how, like, yeah. really aside from the offensive zone obsession with point shots, his systems were pretty good. Yeah, it seemed like inefficient mm-hmm. once they got to offense, but getting to offense, they did okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not so worried anymore about them keeping suboptimal players in the lineup because that seems to be a thing that's faded away since both Hack and Hextall have been fired. But I think what really what they need is, like you said, is they need to not come out flat to start the season. Like there can't be an ease in like there have been over the last like three seasons. They need to just hit the ground running and bank points all throughout the season and not wait until, you know, I don't know. When did they start playing hockey this season? January? January. Yeah, like January let's 10th. not wait till January to start playing hockey. The ten- the tenth of January, they ended an eight game losing streak, and from there is when they uh, everyone says the fourteenth when they beat the Wild, and then because mm. they they lost like the game after. Yeah, the they, 10th, yeah, yeah. they lost I, the Devils game. Yeah, I I put it at the tenth because they ended an eight game losing that's streak fair. there. Yeah. That's fair. And from then on, they won a bunch of games. Yeah, like you can't wait until then. No, like <laughs> camp is when you're supposed to be figuring it out. Stop using the first two months of the season to be figuring it out. Yeah, and I. The one point I'll make there is that, and this is something I, I'm probably going to elaborate on in an, in like the postmortem mm-hmm. article in the season that I'm going to do. But like, I agree that the first the first month and a half, I believe, of the season, I guess month and three quarters, because it was right after Thanksgiving when they fired Hexall, like that was the slow start. And really, that wasn't it wasn't even that slow of a start until Elliot got hurt, and then the whole floor fell off yeah. under them in, in November. Yeah. To me, you could have probably salvaged this season. The, the biggest mistake they made strategically was when, if you decide you have to fire Ron Hexel, you had to fire Dave Hexel. Yeah. So what happened by not doing that is then you had you you basically extended the month and a half of meh to bad play. You you just tossed away another month because you just had this this coach withering on the vine in limbo until mid December when you finally got around to firing him, and and everyone knew he was a dead man walking, yeah. and by then. It was not only were you did you then dig yourself another month of a hole. You also put your new coach in a position where he wouldn't be able to implement his new stuff for another month afterwards because the schedule was so crazy busy that he was just kind of rolling with hack stuff. So you basically set yourself up for the soonest they could possibly have turned things around was mid January, which is when they did. They did. (laughs) And by then it was pretty much too late unless they played like the Tampa Bay Lightning for the rest of the year, which they did for two months until it finally was like, oh wait, we're actually not that good. They fell two weeks short. 
short. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> they had a 769 win percentage through March 11. Unfortunately, the season ends in like the first week of April. So, yeah. <laughs> like, they just fell a couple weeks short. Uh, yeah, I to to me, they absolutely need the coach. Now, yeah. it's, the it's coach is going to be huge. Yeah. I, it's Quenville's job if he wants it. I've said that a bunch of times. Like, and that Hackstall thing is so they by let and we kind of said a bunch of times. Hey, you're kind of letting Hack be his own interim here, which is a strategy, I guess. But like you said, it was this black cloud over mm-hmm. the team. Yeah. Everyone knew he was getting fired. Yeah, I think I think it was Steph who was the one who said the like the day they fired Hextall. It was like the day after, whatever. And she said on this show, like, it's all well and good that you did something, but what did you actually do to change the on ice product? Yeah, the GM has nothing to do. With, <laughs> the GM yeah, has nothing. nothing to do with what's going yeah. on at that moment. Yeah, he set this up, and yeah, neglecting the goalie situation and doing nothing to improve the you know the worst penalty kill ever, and all those things were bad. But once the season started, like that doesn't help, and they they waited too long to do that. To me, they need the coach. It's got Quenville. It's his it's his job if they want it. And then exhaustive coaching search if he doesn't. I it, it, whatever the number one coach in Sweden is, <laughs> there's some sort of all star team in Australia. The Marley guy, shit. yeah, whatever. There is Shelby. actually a Swedish. I mean, he would never get the job, but yeah. there is actually a, a guy I believe. I believe he's in the SHL who is like always talked about. Like I think at some point over the next ten He'll years, someone is going to yeah. take the plunge and give him a shot. But he's always one of those guys. Like you read articles and it's like, well, there is that guy. He'd be a really go, interesting choice wanted to go outside the box yeah they could do that and i'm not even necessarily saying give him the job i just want to bring in a hundred candidates and get everyone's perspective on this thing because i think there does need to be like uh, some outside perspective brought in here and we to move this thing forward and just get everyone's opinion on this thing and then whoever the number one guy is after this you, you hire him if it happens to be scott gordon i won't be totally upset about it i'm not I'm not as opposed to the Scott Gordon idea as I think a lot of people who are really into stats are. And my reason is that, like, I don't think the numbers are bad. I do, I do believe if you give Scott Gordon an entire training camp and an offseason to kind of decide, okay, well, why did this really not work as well as it seemed to be working when I was implementing myself? I think they do better. Yeah. At the same time, I think they can probably do better than Scott Gordon, considering yeah. the amount of money they have at their disposal. Yeah. Yeah, Gordon's not on like my wish list. I just don't think I'm going to reject it immediately. I'm not going to go, oh, that was stupid, right away. Mm-mm. It could end up being dumb, um, but there's no way I don't go for... We've talked to, you know, Quenville a bunch of times. Yeah. There's rumblings that maybe Mike Babcock might not be the guy up there. But the thing is... I don't think they're going to fire Mike Babcock this no, year. Me, me neither. Me neither. But it's, people have mentioned it. And the, the thing with that is they're saying, oh, he's really struggling to coach the young guys. Well... <laughs> that would not make about me the, that. That might yeah. not necessarily be the best option for us then. Uh, but you, uh, you ask an interesting question here, Charlie, because it has been an impressive second half, especially for a few individuals. Post January one scoring, who has impressed you the most in the second half? We've we've gone through a lot of this, but. Man, like Couturier, I've yeah. I've stopped calling Claude Drew the best player on the team, and I've started saying it's Sean Couturier. Jake Voracek's had a point per game pace since the new year started. JVR is on a forty-five goal pace. All the people who said it was the worst signing ever <laughs> have suddenly stopped showing up in post game. TK, he turned things around after a slow start. Patrick Sanheim, Lindblom, all much better scoring wise in the second half than the first. Who has impressed you the most uh, during this run and in the second half? It's hard not to go with Couturier, not even because he's leading in points in this little table here. Um, but he's been dominant everywhere. Yeah. All over the ice. Up and down. Like there's been nothing bad about his game. And it is kind of fun to see uh that Shane Gosses Bear has been scoring points again because God, it was really exhausting to have to try to convince people that he didn't suck. Oh, for I still, a solid two I still, months. I still get a lot of them in oh, post game. They don't like him. He's a bum. He's, he's weak in front of the net because that's the only place a defenseman impacts the game is in front of his own net. Of course. But I mean, like he, that's, he's always going to be like that. I guess yep, and that, that's why they don't want him. That's what I guess that's just what drives me up the wall with the, the ghost stuff is like he brings very positive things to the table and he has some weaknesses, but he's proven over multiple seasons that those positives tend to outweigh those weaknesses. So I, I've, I've screamed about this for years. Like, stop yelling at players for not 
being what they are. Like, it, like a guy is what he is, and it's fine. Like, if Shane Gossespierre is not scoring, that's fine to criticize him for yeah. because that's mm-hmm. what he's supposed that's to his, do. That's what he brings. But like, if 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 a guy has proven himself to be a good player, and one of his just inherent weaknesses is he's just not that strong. Like, don't yell at him for not being that strong. It's like yelling at the sky for not being blue. <laughs> yeah, that's I. I always like. Yes, if a player had no weaknesses, he'd be Connor McDavid. Yeah, <laughs> like there's not, there's only so many best players in the league. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got a weakness, and it just drives me up the wall. But it is nice to see him scoring a little bit. That yeah. play in front of the net, I can't remember which game this weekend it was, but it was ugly. Oh, it was bad. Um, it, it was the it was the Islanders game. It was the, it was the very end of the yeah. Islanders game. He completely misread the rush, and then like he wasn't quite sure whether he wanted to get the the puck carry or the guy without the puck, and he ended up doing neither. Yeah, there Oops. there were there were two options, and he didn't he picked neither he yeah. picked neither <laughs> yeah it was very andrew mcdonald it was kind of mcdonaldish i will agree with that like, oh i could defend this guy or this guy i'm gonna not do either of those things <laughs> and uh, it, it's it's worth criticizing but yeah. at the same time like yeah the whole team sucked most of the year i i can't just yes shane gossespair is supposed to be one of the guys driving the bus but when literally everyone is bad except for sean couturier i i i, I can't get that upset yeah, the uh, the question you ask is interesting. The who impressed you the most? Because, like, I agree with Kelly that I think it has to be Couturier because he answered a question I had. Well, yeah, the question is, you know, is he that good? just how good is he? Yeah. And he, the answer is pretty much he's absolutely awesome, and he's a clear one C for this team. So it has to be Couturier because he didn't have, you know, first month of the year he wasn't himself. Even November he was he was getting there, but he was he was more like okay. In November into December, Katuri was the guy I was expecting to get this year, which is mm-hmm. slight regression from last year, a 60-65 to 65 point player who can still drive play and is still very good and is probably like a good 1C. The second half of the year, he has been a great 1C and has been the Flyers' best player. Yeah, and that's yeah. the thing is, that ha- I, I had no problem with that. The Blackhawks won three cups with that yeah. guy as their 1C. Exactly. Like, I have no problem with that. Him turning back into this guy we saw last year and in the playoffs last year, it's like, oh shit, okay, we're good. Yeah. We're real good here. I have to go with JVR. Uh, like, Katoria, yes, absolutely answer that question. I agree with everything both of you said. But JVR getting to 26 goals, he's got six games left, he missed 16 games. Yeah, that's pretty And wild. it's not out of the realm of possibility he breaks 30. I mean, four goals in six games, that's a decent amount. But to get here and to have, you know, different roles throughout the season, not be on the first power play all year, for the power play to struggle most of the year, and for him to do the thing he was brought in to do, score a whole bunch of goals, I'm happy about that. So my main concern with JVR, and it's not even that big of a concern, but it does linger over this, is He's scoring goals and that's great, but I guess I never really I never really worry that he had forgotten how to score goals. And I think some people did, and that's why this seems like a that this seems like a bigger holy shit, JVR is still good. Like I always figured he could score. His two way play hasn't been good even when he's scoring. Like the Flyers are still getting torched in terms of shot differentials when he's on the ice and chance differentials. And that was always a big concern with people. I always argued, well, if you look at his numbers in Toronto, he's always driven play in Toronto, and he generally did. This year, he hasn't. Do I think this is probably just a one-year blip? Yeah, I do. I think next year, you know, you put you have him as probably your third-line winger at even strength, and you have him on your first power play. Hopefully, you get him a better center to, to play with, a, a guy center who probably fits his style yes. a bit more. I think the numbers go back to where they should, but... He's been one of the Flyers' worst players by advanced metrics, and I can't just erase that entirely. That said, it's great that he's scoring, because as long as he's scoring this many goals, like, I'm not saying that he would get traded, but I'm saying that as long as he's scoring this many goals, he will always have value around the league. Yeah. And if you decide you do have to move on from him, people will be lining up to trade for a 30-year goal scorer. Oh, absolutely. And that's... You know, I, I I like JVR a lot. I like when they brought him in. But looking at what this team is, he is like the number one reason I think they need to go out and add a uh, a, a really good middle six center. Like, I agree he with is, that. Yeah, the fit of this team, the way this team is laid out right now, they have a bunch of wingers who require centers, and that's fine. But they don't have enough centers. Yeah. That's their one center short here. I don't like moving Giroux back. He's just better on the wing. Agreed. I really just want – I don't want it. And Nolan Patrick has been pretty good in this second half, but 
How good is he really? We don't know yet. He just hasn't given us that consistent amount of production. Uh, he, he the production fallen off a little bit lately, uh, just in these last couple games. But I mean, no one's awesome yeah. every single game all year. I'm not worried about that. I'm just thinking, I've never seen him produce for a whole year, so I need to go out and get someone who will do that. And if he does, that means we're awesome. I agree. I, I think second line center, and you know what. We should have predicted this because this was the hole they didn't fill last offseason. Like, like we, we should have yeah. we should have known that this was still going to be the big hole because we talked about last year. Like, okay, well, they could use a scoring winger. They could they, but they really need that center, and they didn't get him. And I mean, apparently they they pushed hard for Stasny. That was the guy they targeted, and mm-hmm. Stasny the Flyers were the second choice behind behind the gold. Oh, it, it happens. It sucks, but it happens. They just never filled it. And, you know, you tried to fill it with a little with, with Ferrovia at the start of the year. Then you tried it with Lawton. You tried Giroux there. Like, it's, they've been trying to fill that, that hole. You obviously tried it with Patrick, but like, you need another good center. Ideally, it's a great center. Yeah. But you at least need another good one. Yeah, that's I, I keep pushing for, like, I want a 2C. If we can get a good 3C, I've mentioned Tyler Johnson. I know you're not as high on him I, as I, I am. I could live with it. It's, it's my live with, yeah. not my ultimate, like, I want to go out and get goddamn Braden Point. That's what I want to <laughs> do, but it might not happen. <laughs> like, it's good so to like, aim I, high. Yeah, I'm aiming very high in terms of my center wish list, but I am willing, like, okay, yes, a very good 3C would be fine rather than a good 2C, but... So, so two guys, two guys. I want to point out. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say that they most impressed me, but I guess the better word to say is they most reassured me. Okay. Uh, number one on this list, Jake Voracek, because he was a guy who, in the first half of this year, was scaring. He me. looked not. Good. He was scaring me. The points were still there. Not but quite like, at that. Not quite at the Jake level, especially after last year where he breaks point a game. Yeah, yeah, but it was also just that like. For years, I've defended Jake Voracek to the people, oh, he turns the puck over too much, oh, all this and that. And I always defended him with, okay, maybe, but if you, like, the Flyers always outshoot and outchance the other team when he's on the ice, so he must be doing enough right, even with the turnovers, to make sure the Flyers win the territorial battle. First half of the year, that was not happening. First half of the year, he was making all those mistakes, and you could easily see how many times the other team was going the other way and trapping the Flyers in the, in the defensive zone when he was on the ice. It looked bad. And you were getting worried because you're like, this guy turns 30 in August, and this this shit could turn bad. And I mean, we had this conversation right after Hexall got fired that like this was one of the things Chuck Fletcher has to pay attention to is, is Jake Voracek about to fall off the cliff? And if he is, you got to get the hell out from under that contract. Mm-hmm. you got to do like a Phil Kessel trade to get out from under the contract before this shit goes really bad. The second half of the year, he's been Jake Voracek again. I wouldn't say he's had an amazing Jake Voracek second half, but he's looked like himself again. Yeah. And that reassured me to the point where like, I'm not even thinking going into this offseason that Jake Voracek is a candidate to be traded. No. Maybe Chuck Fletcher could surprise me, but I am no longer thinking that's a possibility. Whereas you you asked me that question in late November, early December, that was in my mind of like, maybe he's the guy you move to shake things up. That's gone Oh, now. that was very much in my mind. And, you know, I'm not as high on Voracek as you. I recognize how good he is. Uh, I've just, you know, certain things about him bother me. But I always do stick up for him in a... Well, get... you just stick up for to be the contrarian. Well, you're I... the contrarian in every room. I, not, you know. <laughs> if sure. you're in a room where everybody's shitting on Voracek, you'll defend them. But if you're in a room where everybody's defending Voracek, you'll shit on him. That's, I, I think he's got holes in his game that bother me, but I also recognize if you're going to say we need someone better than Voracek, you probably yeah, can't get hard. that guy. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah. you know, some right wingers in, in the NHL better than Jake Voracek. It's going to be really hard to acquire them. They don't just, they don't exactly. just become available regularly. Exactly. But I got to ask because I bring this up all people. He, he broke 20 goals this uh, in the last game on Sunday. And uh, people. This is, we're still talking Jake. Yeah, we're still talking about Jake. I. I know how much he shoots because I look at the numbers. Why doesn't it feel like he shoots that much? Because his shots don't look dangerous. That that true that, to the net. That's what it boils down to. Like <laughs> I've said this on the show, he has this kind of like shovel shot yeah. where it doesn't actually look like he's shooting, even though he is. Because it just there's never that like when Claude Giroux shoots. It may go ten feet over yeah, over the net, but, but like you pay attention because yeah. he's shooting. Jake Voracek, you're like, is that really a shot? 
Is it? No, there are plenty of times where I'm just like, I guess he was afraid to bruise the puck there. Like, I don't <laughs> But I'll tell you what it works is he uses that shot, and uh, he uses it in the shootout a lot, and he freezes goalies That's with true. It That's true. Because it's not coming from always a shooting position. Yeah. And so it does work sometimes. But, so, but anyway, the, the second guy, and this is really, I don't know how much of this was really his fault, but it, you, know, you start having doubts. So I've been a, a big Oscar Lindblom fan for a long time, and... I've always liked the fact that he's driven play. I love his smarts. I love the little things he does. But when you spend the first half of the season where he's not scoring and the coach is using him on the fourth line, you start doubting yourself. You start thinking, like, maybe this guy just can't score at the NHL level. Like, he does a lot of little things, but maybe he just can't score. And maybe rather than him being this lock, this, this rock-solid middle six forward, like, maybe he's more of a quad a guy because he's just not fast enough to score in the nhl like those doubts were creeping into my mind and the second half it was just like no it was just the idiot coach (laughs) like that's that's all it was it was just the coach was not putting him in a position to succeed and once he got a coach who did he was back to looking like the guy i thought he was and like of your top six he might be like fifth or sixth in scoring he might not put up those numbers but to me he's the perfect third liner you play on your second line and you have a really good third line. Yeah, that's and that's what he proved uh, himself to be to me, and I'm I'm happy with what I've seen out of him. Uh, TK man has uh, I liked what I saw out of TK on Sunday. I, I will say that because they've tried this thing with him a few times where they go, all right, you're really good when when you're with uh, when you're with Drew and Couturier, you're real good. And then we give you your own line, and it doesn't go well. That's fair. And Sunday was the first time I think he was out there with I think he was out there with Lawton and Hartman. Yeah, it was a good yeah. line. Looked and good. they were like I saw him actually taking charge, and I saw him making things happen for his line mates. And I went, okay, while that's not where I want him, unless they go out and get Panarin, and it's like, all right, well, there's only so many spots in the top six. Someone's got to drop down, unless they go out and do something like that. It's finally for the first time I'm thinking, all right, you can do that with him. You can put him down on a third line and he can be a contributor there. I mean, to be fair... A lot of the other, a lot of the other times they were dragging him down to the third line. He didn't have any quality oh, no, line mates. No, it's it's so. him and Raffle and whatever, like yeah. and some guy and some guy, right? And shockingly enough, it didn't work out well. But yeah, this was an actual good line that worked out well. Yeah, I think I put in my article because uh, I, I pointed out how good this line was. It was it had a fantastic game on a on on Sunday. Aside from I think there was the one. The one play, the Verona breakaway goal, it was like preceded by Konechny having a really bad pass that mm-hmm. kind of set up, and that's what put Myers in the bad position. So aside from that one moment, they were there was, it was he was very yeah, good. Mistakes happen. You're going to make mistakes. Yeah, it is what it is. But, but it's just you know, he's that line is a. I like the idea, but I agree that like you can't roll with that because I think Hartman and Lawton are like really good fourth liners, no, and Konechny you're hoping is going to be a good to great top sixer. Yeah. yeah, but it's almost one of those lines where I almost wonder if you could audible it. Like if it's midway through, because you got you know Lawton's a tough guy to play against because he, he he hits and he's aggressive and he's a good four checker. Hartman when he's playing at his best is really annoying because he hits and he's a good four checker and he's fast. And Konechny is Konechny, like you know he's. He's, I'm sure. Wiry. Yeah, teams are infuriated by him. So I always wonder. That if it's is one, an annoying as shit line to play. Yeah, like it's one of those <laughs> things where I wonder if it's like midway through the second period and your coach is like, "Yo, we just don't have our legs tonight." You put that line together and you yeah. send them out for a few shifts. Like it might be a good, a good audible line. In the because I said a lot. Yeah, like listen. I know people feel differently than I do. I often say I am the biggest non-Capitals Tom Wilson fan. Um, I said a lot this weekend. This team needs a Tom Wilson. You did, and didn't you? Listen, I no. Do I want someone who cross-checks people in the back of the head for no reason? No. But I think Ryan Hartman needs to assume some of that role in the absence of Wayne Simmons. Is he going to play top-line minutes and score 20 goals like Tom Wilson now does? Doubtful. <laughs> no. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but as, yeah, a, as a fourth liner that you can, as Charlie said, perhaps bump up to a third line role in that sort of, okay, halfway through a game, we don't have it. Let's put these three annoying dudes together. They need someone like that. I don't think they need to go out and get an enforcer, but there is something to be said for being harder to play against. And there are way too many times this team isn't hard enough to play against, and I think it's an internal culture thing. This isn't go out and get Ryan Reeves. That's not what I'm advocating. I just think certain guys need to take it upon themselves to be as physical and as annoying as humanly possible. 
I mean, we saw in the Penguins outdoor game that there are a lot of guys on this team who can be that. Yeah. But then it's like, you know, do you want Shane Gostisbehere throwing huge body checks no, all the time? Probably he's not. Get hurt if right, he plays exactly. That way. <sighs> I don't know. I think it's just like we you talk about wanting those energy guys, and I understand why teams want it, but like there's a reason why it's not like everybody else in the NHL doesn't try hard. Yeah, the energy right. guys separate themselves because they just have this ability to never lose that top gear. Mm. And it's a rare skill. Like, a lot of guys can do it, but they can't do it every game. No, That's no. why it's rare when you find an energy guy who can. It's gotta bring up we, Goldborn. It's something we talked about with this run, with this team. Like, yeah, some nights you just don't have it, and that's fine. It's an 82-game season, but when you throw away three-plus months yeah. Yeah. and you have one of these clunkers, well, you just put yourself way behind again because <laughs> you have to maintain this lightning-level pace just to make it even interesting. All right, so we've talked about these pieces they have and these guys that have proven themselves at least to be valuable in a role. I don't know necessarily, like, but they, they've at least proven they're players. They are players yeah. here. What is your number one priority this offseason? If you can add one thing, what is it? I want a dynamic forward. A tie, whether I mean, ideally it's a center because I think that's the better roster fit, but get me a dynamic top six forward who can create for himself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would prefer that over another piece on defense, to be yeah, honest. because that's the thing that keeps coming up, is they need that veteran top four defense. But like, it would help. They? Yeah, while I, I mean, don't... It would, yeah, it wouldn't hurt, but yeah. like, do they really need Oh, yeah, I'm it? not against it. Yeah. But the thing to me is, let's have this dynamic offense, and those defensive pieces will fall into place. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, you, I would prefer a centerman. That's number one priority to me is a 2C. If you can get Panarin, you get Panarin. Yeah. He's so good that... You know, you you go outside your little box here. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah, while we need a center, getting the best available forward is a pretty good thing to do. But to me, it's center. If you can go and get a top four defenseman, cool. But I'm looking at it, Provorov Sanheim. Okay, I'm, it works I'm here for yeah. that one. Yeah, <laughs> Ghost Gudis. Okay, don't hate Myers. It. Okay, there's five. Yeah, yeah. I like that five. Yeah. They need another guy. Is it Sam Moran? Is Maybe. it someone else? Whatever. Is it Robert Haig? I don't think so. But no. I just don't think defense is as big of a priority as offense. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, I would with agree all with these young guys isn't the way to go. But, it, man, if we can just score a bunch of goals, I think this defense will fall into place as it was built to at some point. And I know that I, I'm like every week with this, but I mean, the fact that Phil Myers has come up and played so well, I think that. I mean, I think throughout the season we were kind of saying that a top four defenseman might be a necessary add, but knowing that Phil Myers can play at this level, I think kind of takes the pressure off of that a little bit, maybe. I think a top, like I do believe a top four defenseman would help a lot, particularly yeah. if it's a right-handed shot because you can move everybody down. But I agree, I agree with with both of you that you can get by. With what you have now, ideally you had what you would have one more piece, but you can get by. I don't know if this top six, as currently constituted, is good enough. I think the defense is good enough, especially if a couple of the young guys take a further step forward or Ghost and or Proveroff return to last year levels of play. Then I think it's fine. It's it's good enough to do what you want to do. I do not think the Flyers' current top six is good enough to do what you want to do. Yeah, and that's the you're probably right about that in terms of just the six that they would roll out right now. Yeah. It's probably not Stanley Cup caliber defense. I think maybe they could grow into it, but they could. They there could. is a there's a right handed top pair defenseman who's gonna be available, it looks like. Is there? His name's Eric Carlson. Is that right? Look, uh, Eric, yeah, Eric, no, Eric Carlson is in the same boat as yeah. Artemi Panera. If you can get Eric Carlson, yeah, get, get Eric Carlson. I just <laughs> there's him. gonna be thirty one teams interested in Eric Carlson. <laughs> exactly. Maybe not the senators, so thirty. But, <laughs> and like but yeah, you absolutely throw your hat in the ring. Yeah, yeah, sure. Abs- you try to get Eric Carlson if you can, but we've looked at this uh, many times, this list of free agent defensemen, uh, I'm good on it outside. Like, do you really yeah, want Jake great. Gardner? Yeah. No, thank like, you. Well, you... I mean, actually, I kind of like... I would be fine with me. Jake Gardner if it's like a more of a bargain than maybe he thinks he's going to get right Which now. Which it's not. Yeah, it's not going yeah, to be. be. He's a defenseman. He's a 28-year-old defenseman hitting yeah. the open market. He's yeah. going to get money. Yeah, the, 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 only, the, the only team I could see getting a bargain on him is Toronto. That's yeah. it. Okay. Just because he knows them. But if he hits the open market, no, he's getting to get Pyramid paid. Pyramid scheme time for Toronto, baby. There we go. 
if if I'm if I'm the Flyers, I'm only unless you can convince Carlson, which obviously you convince Carlson. Yeah. Unless you can convince Carlson to come here, the only way I'm upgrading the defense is if I can trade. It's trade, yeah. It's, it's trade, mm-hmm. trade, free agency. Okay, forwards, that's there. Maybe offer sheets or whatever. But yeah, there, there there's enough good forwards out there that you could plausibly get your upgrade via free agency. I don't think there's an upgrade aside from Eric Carlson that I really want to commit money to in free agency. To me, it's you scour the trade market. If there's a trade to be made, you make it. And I think Fletcher is in the position where if there's a trade to be made, he will make it. Whereas I don't think Ron Hexel would have. But if it's not there... I'm not like the, the the last thing I want to see the Flyers do is say we need a top four defenseman. They go out and they sign Tyler Myers, who sucks. That, I was just going like, to mention like that, like that to me is the worst case sol- yeah. uh, solution to this problem. Is like, well, yeah, let's get let's get the six seven Tyler Myers who really hasn't been good for like six years. That's I don't I don't dislike Tyler Myers maybe the way you do. Yeah, I'm not but a fan. I am not going to be the team that gives him the money. No. Like that's no. Yeah, that is probably worst case scenario. Like, oh, he's out there. Let's no, God no. Just go with what you have. Yeah, Uh, We're going to take a quick break for an ad, and then, on the other side, talk about the newest member of the Flyers organization. All right, we are back, gang, and now we're going to talk about uh, someone who signed their entry-level contract with the Flyers just today, Joel, I'm going to call him Joel Farabee. I believe that's Uh, how it's pronounced. First-round pick last year. Of course, they get him with the St. Louis Blues pick from that uh, not-one-for-one trade with the (laughs) St. Louis Blues, where they sent Braden Shen to the Blues for Farabee, Frost, and uh, some Coke dealer. Um What does Allegedly. this mean? Uh, he's gonna he's gonna be on an ATO the rest of the season. His ELC kicks in next year. Is he gonna play for the Phantoms in the playoffs? Is that what I'm hearing? Well, so it's it's a weird thing because he actually did get hurt in his final game. Ah, of course he did. So it doesn't seem like it was super serious. He is, but Joel. it is it is a knee injury. Um, this is for you, Taylor. I'm not sure yet if he was if he was given the ATO, which okay. essentially would because his contract doesn't kick in until next year. But if you sign the ATO, you can play for the Phantoms for the the final bit of the season. If I had to guess, like I don't even know if the Phantoms are going to make the playoffs this year. I oh, believe okay. they're out of the picture at the moment. Oh, I thought they were hanging on right around. I don't. Uh, I haven't checked them. I thought they were. I thought they were out of it. I haven't checked in a couple days, but we do have Sanheim, Myers, Hart. And, yeah, uh, you know, well, Blom, and they've so. they raided Veroni. And I mean, yeah. Veroni was the MVP last year. Actually, I, I know I we don't love him, any... but like he was the MVP in the AHL last season. That's a possibly... pretty big loss. Oh yeah, certainly. I think is. we yeah. said it last week. You weren't here. He's Boyd Kane. That's what he is. Like he's an. Excellent AHL player. Good for you, buddy. You don't belong up here. <laughs> I, you know, uh, he's a placeholder here. I don't care. No, he is. Guy. He's a he's a placeholder. Robert and based- Knight, on the other hand, factors oh, into boy. the future. I'll kill you. <laughs> Go ahead, Charlie. I'm sorry. No, uh, it's possible that Faraby gets some games at the end of the year. I, if if he's healthy and he's here, yeah, like give him some games. I mean, they gave games to friggin' Ratcliffe last year. And, and, and true, he wasn't yeah. even, he, he got an ATO and he, he was going back to juniors. Yeah. Like, Farabee is turning pro next year. And, like, I love Joel Farabee. I really, really love the skill set. I don't think he's bulky enough to make the jump to the NHL next 170s year. 170s is slight. He's just he's, a, he's a very wiry guy. He's six Listen, foot-ish. How long are we going to keep pretending that small guys can't make it in the NHL? There's a difference between a small guy and a guy who has no muscle. Isn't he the same size as Elias Pettersson? Yeah, and Elias Pettersson's gotten hurt like four times this year. Yes, he's awesome, but he's also not really like he's going to be even better when he puts on another 10 oh, sure. pounds. And Joel Farabee is not as good as Elias Pettersson from a skill set standpoint. I choose to believe he might be. Yeah, Pedersen's listed at 6'1", 170. That's that's a skinny beat. boy. That's, yeah, and listen, go play in the AHL, take your lumps, whatever. I, you know, maybe if he has a, a great summer, he can make this team out of camp. I'm not holding out hope. Yeah, for that. I'm not holding my I'm breath. I'm done depending on teenagers. One of the reasons I don't care about the draft lottery this year. I'm done with teenagers. I sound like Barney Stinson right now, but like I'm just over it. Like I, I, I've seen enough of these guys. Oh yeah, well Travis Sanheim will join this team, and that'll be not, no man. He, he it was five years after we drafted him that he joined the team. Like I'm not waiting anymore. I do. And this is this is a good segue into my next question, but I do think there's we we kind of are still trapped in the hextall mentality yes, of letting these guys overcook, and I'm unsure if Chuck Fletcher is going to have the same approach. So that mm-hmm. leads me to my next question, which is, do you think Rod Hextall gives Joel Farabee the the entry level contract this year, or do you think he's like, nah, kid, go back and play your sophomore season? 
I can't, especially with an NCAA player, I can't imagine ever wanting to wait around if he wants to go pro. Because if you just be like, nah, man, go stay. There's the risk. Oh, guess what I'm going to do? Never play for your team. It's a fair point. With the NCAA guys, and didn't he try to kind of nudge Wade Allison in the direction of coming to the organization? Like, we got a spot for you. So, like, if it was a junior kid... I absolutely think Hextall will be like, nah, man, just go be 20. Um, <laughs> let me, I'll talk to you when you're 20 years old. But I think with the NCAA guys, it's a little different. Um, but fair. no matter what, I mean, yeah, we sign him a year from now, and then he sits for four years in the AHL, and then Hexy brings him up. But I do think it, that could be different with uh, with Fletcher, absolutely. I just think that there was there was a real fear when it came to Hextall with regards, oh, we can't, you know, we can't, push these guys too fast and I think with Farabee because like Farabee's got the skills to succeed in the AHL he's the frame isn't there I don't think he's going to be ready for the NHL next year and he might get beaten up a little bit in the AHL like the AHL is not obviously it's not as good of a league but it's a physical it league a physical league. yeah like he open like yeah there are no more open ice hits in the NHL they still go on down there yeah <laughs> like get your head up get your head up you're a tall boy you're gonna have your head down sometimes you're not wrong so but at the same time, and this is kind of why I like the move a lot, the move to sign him, is that like, why not get him up yeah. here, get him on an NHL strength training program, and get him to learn? Because the thing with the AHL is that while it's not as good as the NHL, obviously, there's a lot of similarities in terms of pace. Like We hear a lot of for the whole Morgan Frost thing, where he needs to play with more pace. They play with pace in the AHL, mm-hmm. and I think it would be good for Joel Farabee to get used to having to make decisions quicker than he had to in college. That's, it seems like there's a lot more, um, I, I don't want to just na- call it European style because it's not that, but like you see it sometimes in the Olympics with the bigger ice, and, and, and I, you see it, and I think it compares more to college like that. Puck possession, I'm going to walk in and just have more time, time yeah. mm-hmm. to be able to do things deliberately Absolutely. rather than, hey, man, this game is always a rush. Even when you're not on a rush, you're on a rush. Yep. And I, I think maybe uh, doing that will help him. What is up with Wade Allison? Uh, he missed some games again this year, it looks like. He only played 22 games. He had a weird year. It was, it was still recovery. he went back because yeah. that team really thought, like, hey, man, we just missed it last year. We can do this thing. Well, it was also he didn't think he was going to be ready for camp. So he was okay. like, well, I'm not going to really have a fair chance to make the team the Flyers anyway, so I'm going to go back. And then the recovery, I wouldn't say the recovery went poorly, but he definitely had, it, it was a rough year. He didn't come back fully healthy from the knee, so he needed to work himself into that. And then he needed to get work. He needed to work past the mental aspect of the injury. Then he got sick. Then he got banged up a little bit more. Like he just had a weird year. Okay. Uh, to me, I don't know how the Flyers don't sign him because, like his leverage, Wade Allison's leverage has now went down because yeah. now, like yeah, he could theoretically blow the Flyers off, go back to school for his senior year, and then sign elsewhere. But he's coming off a not that great year. He had eight if, goals and only played twenty two yeah, games. If he has another, like yeah, he could bet on himself and say, I don't really want to go to Philly. I'm going to go back to my senior year, kill it, and then sign anywhere I want. That could happen. But if he has a second straight down year, then no one's going to want to sign him. So to me, it's like the Flyers want him. Fletcher is see, Fletcher and everybody who is stuck around from the Hextall year, they seem like they're still really high on Wade Allison, just like Hextall was. So there's an organization that wants him. I don't know why he wouldn't sign. Okay. But he hasn't signed yet. So that's a little concerning to me. Like the fact that Farabee has signed like Western Michigan was out of was out of the college playoff picture before Boston University. Okay. And the fact that Wade Allison did not immediately put pen to paper, it's a little concerning. I still think he's going to sign because I don't know why he wouldn't. But I, you still got to get him to sign on the dot line. So hopefully there Fletcher's is, prioritizing it. I got to... If his ultimate goal is be in the NHL as soon as possible, there is a bit of a lockjam. <laughs> like, well... <laughs> To be fair, they think he's physically ready. Okay, that, that's what yeah, that's what that's what Shell Samuelson told me right. when I talked to him in January was that they think Wade Allison, I guess, aside he from these injuries, the that he is physically. It comes down to skill. Like, will his skill translate? But from a physical standpoint, like Shell Samuelson more or less said, like, look, one of the things that kind of makes it tough for us to 
like fully understand how his skills are going to translate is because he just beats up on these college kids. Okay. Mm. And it's like, we kind of needs another, we need to jump him up to see what he'll be able to do when he can't just physically manhandle everyone. That's he's 21. He's six two two Oh five. According to elite prospects. Like, yeah, that's a guy who can play in the league right now. Just based on body. Nothing else. Just based on what he looks like. I would say he's got a pretty good shot to play in the league. Let's jump back up to the big club here. We were just talking about defense a minute ago. I want to circle back to that. Why are they still waiting on Sam Moran? Like, like what? Are what they is really, the, really waiting for that? How point much? One yes. percent. That's ridiculous. How, That's but, stupid, like, right? Robert Haig is not good. No. But they think he's. I mean, they. If I, he's better than Sam Moran, outright release Sam Moran. Yeah, but I guess what it comes down to with Haig is that, number one, I don't think they believe Haig is as bad as the online community has decided that Robert Haig is. Number two, maybe he's not. Like, maybe Sam Moran isn't as good as Robert Haig because... He has to be. Maybe. It could be, but he hasn't played. We don't know. And the fact of the matter is that Robert Haig beat Sam Moran out for a job two training camps ago. According to a bad coach. Okay, and a GM who was pretty good at evaluating young talent. Was he? I mean, he was good at drafting him. Yeah, he was great at picking him. <laughs> I mean, the fact that we don't know, though, is even more reason to get him into the lineup to see. And I get, I understand when they were actively really trying to get in. Yeah, and I four under- weeks ago, I'm fine with it. Whatever. But, I mean, like, these aren't idiots. They know now that it's done. It's like, at it's, least, are yeah. they also waiting for the Micah tweet like I am? Like, do they really need it to be 0% before they're going to play Sam Moran? I guess it's, it's, it's at least plausible to me that he plays on Wednesday. I'm not expecting it, but it could happen. I just think, I think he plays a lot the so final week. Can shut up about it. I think he would have to absolutely just be better than Robert Haig. I can't I don't watch think that guy he, play anymore. I don't think he could be worse. I, yeah, there's, it, it, that means he's terrible. Yeah. That means he really, really stinks if he's worse than Robert Haig. I don't care about the injuries, how much time he's had off, all the rust. If he's not better than Robert Haig, he's actively bad. I bet he, too, can throw hits. Oh, I, he can hit. Charlie, he can. I, we, we talked boy. about this last week, and you were here. Robert Haig, you know, all these hits and all... I don't think I've ever seen one of them. When are these hits occurring? I've never I've seen him bump guys. That's I've a hit, him, baby. I've seen him come up to them and then hold them against the boards. Counts. When are these body checks that he's getting credited with? I've never seen more than five of them. When are they? You know, Bill. You watch the game from the press box, so you get to see the shit that's not on screen. You know, Bill. When do they come? I don't disagree with you. Like he, he, he does hit people. They're making stuff but, up. But you know what it is? It's the like. I think he gets a lot of credits for like the pin against the boards. Yes. That that's the that's the Robert Haig hit is the pin against the boards. When Luke Shen was leading the league in hits, I at least saw him Superman out of the frame of my widescreen <laughs> television, so I knew he was going to hit somebody. I don't know if I've ever seen Robert Haig actually throw one of these hits. No, it would be nice if, like, if he's going to have all these hits, it would be nice if there were a few more, you know, actually one exciting ones. One or two where you put the guy like, on Gudis his Like, knocks people on their yes! ass sometimes. Yeah, and he had to stop a little bit because they all just kept turning their back to him, and he missed five <laughs> games. So, like, he had to turn tune that down. But Hank's never even, I it just, I don't know when these hits actually occur. But all of a sudden, you're telling me he leads the league in them. Well, he does. That's actually one thing that always cracks me up is that Gudis actually has that's more hits than more, scoring. actually has more hits. Than Haig, yeah. but if you listen to Flyers broadcast, you'd, you'd swear that Haig has more hits than Gudis. Because with Gudis, when Gudis does something, you don't have to preface it with he leads the league in hits because he's actually good at other things. Whereas <laughs> yeah. with Haig, like it's the only positive thing you can and say, literally. especially in this second On half. The last broadcast, they said it like twice. And the only defenseman in the league with more hits than Robert Haig is Radko Gudis. Uh, <laughs> but back to Haig. But hits. back to Haig. He's not very good. Uh, all right. A couple minutes left here. Let's get to the Scott Gordon stuff. There's an article on NBCS Philly the other day, uh, kind of just talking about how bad they've been by the uh, by the shot based metrics under Scott Gordon. And all year, it's it's they've been a weird team uh, in terms of the uh, you know the Corsi four percentage, the shots for versus shot against. When out shooting their opponents, the Flyers are a dismal ten twenty and two. 
But when they've been outshot, they're ahead scratching 23, 12, and 6. You'd expect those records to be flipped. Yes, you, you would, John. Yes, okay, you would. okay the, the, one point, the one point I will make that about this. That shot's on goal versus not attempts. And, so it, and it's not just that. It's that literally like seven, eight years ago, the analytics community got in the habit of doing something called a score adjustment, which, mm-hmm. which adjusts metrics like Corsi, like expected goals for score effects. Yeah. So I do agree that the Flyers are weird and that they sort of, you know, flip the script with regards to out shooting and out chancing and out whatevering the other team. But you do have to account for the fact that, like, when you're like, losing, when you you're throw lo- everything exactly. The- score effects do matter, and that's that's thrown in analytics people's faces. Like, see, this is why your stuff is bullshit. It's like, no, we accounted for that literally like half a decade ago. So shut the. Fuck and there's up. plenty of times well, like the Flyers go into the third trailing by two, and they're also trailing 28-24 in shots on net, and then at the end of the game, it's thirty-six thirty. Yeah, like oh, they outshot them. Well, yes, because they were losing by two, and they. The goalie, yeah, you throw a bunch of perimeter yeah. shots at the goalie because you're just trying anything. But there is something to this, like, it's weird how the first half of the year they were really, they were, weren't even really good. They were fine yeah. in terms of underlying numbers, and they were really bad. And then the second half of the year they were good in terms of results and actively bad in underlying numbers. And, it's it's interesting, but again, a lot of it just comes out of goaltending. And here's the thing, and goaltending has been a big part of this, and here's the thing that worries people that think, especially you know, with Quenville still on the board, if we just go with Scott Gordon in this article, they say, under interim head coach Scott Gordon, those lopsided totals are even more tilted. The Flyers' Corsi 4 percentage is 43.7%, and the team's wins under Gordon, and nearly even at 50.5% in their losses. They've won a bunch of games under Gordon, but these underlying numbers with him as the coach are concerning. How can they improve on this? These metrics? Is it see? Is it just they need better players? What no. Is, is it something wrong with what he's doing strategically? I, 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 this they're backwards. I think there's absolutely a tactical element here. Um, there's probably a degree of bad luck. You know, because a lot of these metrics, you know, in smaller samples, they can be skewed. Yeah. I don't think the Flyers under Gordon are our true talent, forty-three point point seven percent Corsi team. I don't. Is anybody a true but, talent? Forty. That's the yeah. thing. Is that I mean, so? Well, low. maybe it maybe like a Ottawa. Randy Carlisle yeah. coach team is like, probably a true talent, forty-four percent Corsi <laughs> like team. So many teams, these numbers are often like face-off percentages. Like, oh wow, fifty-five is huge, and yeah. forty-five, my god, yeah. that's so low. It's bad, like, yeah. So many teams are 49, 52, like in that. Big basically 50% area. And I think there's something to be said. Like, I talked about score adjustment. I do also believe that, like, if anything, some teams probably skew it even more. So, like, the Flyers were winning in a lot of these games in the second half, and because of that, their underlying numbers probably look worse because maybe the score adjustment doesn't fully capture just how often they were ahead in these games and how they just kind of, you know, parked the bus in the third period in a lot of them. But, yeah, I think there's a tactical element to it. I think the defensive zone... You know, one thing that Gordon did implement was sort of a uh, a focus on allowing more shots, but protecting the the interior. And I think in the beginning that worked the way it was supposed to, but over time teams have started to just like they just bombard the Flyers with so much that eventually they get the they Something. get the they get the in close shots yeah. in addition to the perimeter shots. Like you saw it in that second period of the Islanders game, they spent the entire period in the defensive zone, and yeah, there were a lot of perimeter shots, but because of rebounds and loose pucks yeah, you, and and sixty second shifts where guys get tired, eventually they start getting into the slot. No, that, yeah, that box shrinks in and shrinks in, and eventually, while you're trying to keep them to the outside. They've imposed their will, and now yeah. the outside is inside the circles or yeah. inside the dots. Like, it still does happen. Yeah, and I think they've probably been under Gordon a little bit more conservative with their breakouts. I think they, oh. they're, they're using... The breakout is a major flaw. They're using the boards yeah, a lot bad. more than they did under... Under Hack, I feel like they uh, they went up the middle more often on breakouts. Uh, if To me, and I, I've been watching a lot of tape on Phil Myers. I'm working on an article on, on him and his play, and he goes... Not off the glass and out. That's Haig's thing. But Myers does a lot of the just shoot it around the boards and hope you get it to the high wi- the high winger. Right but like that can work sometimes. And Myers actually hasn't been bad at it. But like you want to use the middle more because if you get the middle the, the middle breakouts working, you're going to have more likely to go clean up the ice and then more likely to go off the ice quick. Travis connect. 
Travis Konechny actually did something the other day. And sometimes he's he's decent on the breakout because he's a good creative player, and sometimes he's uh, terrible. Well, he's not he's not good as the high the high yeah. way are waiting for the pass. He's he just not strong. He actually did something that impressed the hell out of me the other day. I can't remember what game it was, but he's he's the high winger and he's he gets that pass and he accepts it and he gets his he makes a little he just does a little bit of puck handling, gets his head up and sees someone on the far side breaking out. And he hit them with the pass, and it was like a safe pass. There was no one on either side that could intercept it. I was like, yes, Travis! <laughs> yes! That's exactly it! You got your head up and didn't turn it over. You got it right on the dude's tape. It wasn't a danger. I was just so excited about it. And it was just one of those little things. Like, watching this team break out is often like watching the village. Like, I just would rather bang my head against <laughs> the wall. That's Love the worst it. movie ever made. Oh, I hate it. That um, was a deep... That was just a really reach of a reference. Awful movie. I just, movie, I just hate it. it was I just came up. It's it's my no, it's my go to worst right, movie fair. ever. All right, guys, we started at forty eight, so I guess we have to wrap it up here. Any closing thoughts? We have you know anything? It anything? was so nice to have Charles back. It hey, was nice it's nice good to be back. Uh, last week was fun without mom and dad. It was a completely different is, show. Yeah, it was not BSH radio. Yeah, you guys was... went all went all in on the like <laughs> random flyers. It thing. was fly purpley with Bill and yeah, Kelly. Yeah, I, I should not have been surprised <laughs> considering what Craig and, and Steve do like yeah. on their show. It's like every five minutes they're bringing up some obscure name. <laughs> yeah. So I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was surprised just how well, many you threw I, out there. I thought it was perfect. It was fan appreciation night, Jersey yeah. off the back stuff. I thought it was it was good to go that route. All right, but that is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe. Uh, Jesus. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those places. Broad Street Hockey, you can find us. So much content. My name is Bill Matz. For Kelly, for Charlie, have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about Yeah!